never know where you're going if you don't look back. Hold it tight like a fist for it fades to black. You got a relic, best to keep it true. A ticket to the past, it can bring you to. You got a relic, it come far and few. Remember what you do, it comes back on you. A relic, best to keep it true. A ticket to the past, it can bring you to. You got a relic, it come far and few. Remember what you do. What's good, people? This is the Relic Podcast. I'm Chad Snow. And thanks for listening. Seventh grade, Holgate Junior High. So this had to be like 90, or not 90, 85. 80, yeah, about 85, if I remember correctly. But it was seventh grade for sure. And the librarian at the school suggested I read a certain book. And the book was called The Moves Make the Man by Bruce Brooks and this when I, I I can remember and I believe it was Mrs. Rose so for anyone that listens to this that went to Holgate with me if I was right I think it was Mrs. Rose you can correct me if I was wrong Andrea if you listen to this was it your mom I believe it was your mom I could be wrong so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong but she suggested I read this book there was two kids on the cover playing basketball I can still see it my you know it's in my it's it's this book was a game changer for me and it's etched in my head so I can see, still see the cover it had one of those silver stickers the what are they the, I think it was like the Newberry award winner or Newberry book or something to kind of let you know all right this book might be kind of nice but anyway she gave me the book and at the time it seemed like the biggest book I'd ever seen in my life I can't remember how many pages it was. It must have been a couple hundred. So for me, as a seventh grader who didn't read a lot anyway, it was a big book. But I took it home, and I started reading. And I couldn't put it down. It was that good. Especially for me, at that stage of my life, um, it was big-time good. I was really into basketball, the storyline I could relate to. Um, I've, if you listen to previous podcasts, I ta- had a podcast about Gary. <clears throat> Excuse me. Had a podcast about Gary, who was a huge influence in my life, still is, huge role model. And he uh, had just left to go try out for the Denver Nuggets, I believe, yeah. And that was a big pivotal moment in my life because for a few years there, he was like my biggest father figure and best friend. And all of a sudden, he's gone. So it hurt. And uh, so I had this book anyway. And the two main characters were in junior high. And the book takes place in the 60s. And schools are being integrated. So one of the kids is black, one of the kids is white. Jerome and Bix. Jerome is a black kid. Bix is the white kid, and Jerome is the only black kid in this school. And I'm not going to try to tell you the whole book, but he uh, tries out for the basketball team, and he gets cut, not because he's not good enough, because he's one of the better players at the school, but just because of some racial BS. And this is another thing in the book, is that it's very relevant even today is that it, it doesn't whitewash anything, doesn't sugarcoat anything. It's, it's in your face. Uh, 
racism and depression and mental health and, you know, abuse and family, you know, all that stuff. It's not like a sunshine and rainbow kind of book. And so as I'm reading this book, I can see it. I feel and it's narrated by Jerome. So he's telling the story. So that that part is real cool for me is it feels like the I'm being talked to by Jerome, not by some author that's, you know, outside of the picture. And he meets this kid, Bix, a white kid who is a baseball player, not a basketball player. And they developed this friendship through basketball, but basketball is just kind of like a underlying theme of the book, but it has, it's, it's so, so not even close to what the book touches on. And they developed this friendship based on common interests, um, and they're like polar opposites, you know, white and black thing. And it's, again, not to get into too many details, it's just a good book. And it blew me away when I read it the first time. And I probably read it a few times. And it's one of those books that just, it shaped me at a young age. And one of the themes in the book, too, I remember was Jerome. After he got cut from the basketball team, he would take his lantern and go to this court that was kind of like in the woods. No one would go to. It was just kind of like his little place. And he would go there all the time just to play and work on his game. And it was like a, I don't even know how to describe it because I was like that too. Like going to the park and playing by myself because no one else was there was like my getaway. So I related to that. And then in the book, when Jerome would go to this like secret park of his that he knew no one was at, all of a sudden, Bix was there, this white kid that wasn't a basketball player. But this kid was there playing. And he, at first, it was like, hey, you're on my court. This is my spot, not yours. But that's how they developed a friendship. And it was a friendship that you just have to read the book. I'm going to stop talking about it right now because I'm getting into something else. And the part of the book that, again, struck with me, the whole thing struck me, but and caught me and, and grabbed me, but was the way he went to the park by himself and played. I related to that so much. And it it was something that carried with me for the rest of my life. Like there's nothing better for me, even today, is sometimes just taking my basketball and going to the park and playing, just shooting by myself. It's almost like church for me. And it was for sure back then through junior high, through high school, college. And I'm getting to the point now where I'm now coaching basketball. And you've heard me talk about him in Monaga. And so I'm the head boys basketball coach. And I have the keys to the gym. So obviously for me, I'm going to be at that gym in the morning before school. That was my thing. I wake up early, I go to the gym. I did it growing up. I did it in high school. I did it in college. I'm going to do it as a professional now. I got the keys to the gym. Why not? So I'd go early. I'd work out, go to the weight room, lift some weights, do some push-ups, pull-ups, just like I do today. And then I'd go upstairs and shoot hoops. 
And as the years progressed, I was there for six, seven years, kids started coming. Some of my players, you know, asked, hey, can I come in the morning too? And I'm like, sure, go ahead. Now, I wasn't sure if I was, you know, if it was a legal thing to do. Because I know, like, as a coach, you can't be coaching the kids during the off season. But if I was opening the gym to anybody, it was fine. But at first, I wasn't opening it for anybody. I was just going there for myself. I wasn't, like, advertising it. I wasn't making anyone go. I wasn't telling my own team players to, oh, you got to come to open gym. No, I wasn't doing that. But they started seeing me be in there in the morning, and they wanted to know if they could join in. Of course they could. And I got okayed it with everybody that needed to be in the loop with it. Because as long as I wasn't making it mandatory, and as long as I wasn't coaching, it was fine. And it started with, like, nobody going. Because, again, I wasn't making nobody go. To by the, my last year there, there was regulars all the time. Teachers started coming. So it became like a thing is what I'm trying to get at. And there were some kids that were there every single day, every single morning, like clockwork. Erica, Megan, Shane, Pete. And this is what I'm getting at right now. I'm talking about Pete. Pete wasn't a basketball player. But he still showed up. He'd be there every single day, every single morning. Lifting. Trying to get better at whatever he was trying to get better at for baseball, football. Looking good for the girls, you name it. But he was dedicated. And I always saw that in Pete. I was like, man, that kid really, he's getting after it. And I always had a fond, a special place in my heart for kids that you didn't have to drag them. You didn't have to bribe them. You didn't have to reward them. They just did it. They just showed up. They weren't pulling teeth. And Pete was one of those kids. He just showed up. And I get to the other part of the story was that in the preseason, basketball season, let's say, is getting ready to start. Football season's winding up. And it's getting to be, a, you know, late, early November, mid-November. And it's time to start thinking about basketball. And so the players, through the leadership of kids like Shane would start doing preseason conditioning. And again, I couldn't make them do this. I couldn't make it mandatory by any means, but the gym was open because I was open in the gym. And as long as they organized it, they could do it. I didn't care. So they did it, and they'd come in in the morning, and they'd do conditioning, running ladders. You know, doing shooting drills, whatever it happened to be. Again, I just was there, but I wasn't, like, leading it. They led it themselves. And I remember one time Pete came up to me, and he was like, hey, coach, is it, uh, is it all right if I come to the conditioning? I was like, well, sure, if you want. 
So he did. And this is a kid that didn't play basketball. He wasn't trying to make the team. He just wanted to get in shape, get in better shape. And why not? So he did it. And again, I never made him. I never like tried to pull his arm or get him to go out for the team or nothing like that. He just did it because he wanted to. Because he had that discipline, he had that drive, he had that internal thing that allowed him to do it. And I always thought that was so damn cool because he was the only one. I didn't see anybody else, any other people that weren't playing basketball trying to show up and run till they puke. No way. Who does that? Not many people. It's like the podcast episode I did on Jeff. Remember the uncommon one? Well, Jeff and Peter brothers. And that was uncommon as well. Which leads me more into the story. Is that with Pete, he graduated same year as Shane. So that was what, 2003? I think it was like 2003 he graduated. But he would still show up when he was in town. He went to college, but he would still show up when he was around. He'd still come to the games. He'd still show up to work out. He'd still show up to lift weights. He still showed up. And no one was making him. It's not like I was calling him to make sure he was there. He just showed up. And he'd get a hold of me. It was a small town, so he'd get a hold of me and want to know if I could open up the gym for him. And he knew it didn't take much to pull my arm to get to the gym. I was a gym rat. Still am. So there are many times it would be like on a vacation, Christmas vacation, summer vacation, whatever. I'd get a, a call from Pete asking me to open the gym. No problem. Then I leave Monaga. And life just keeps going on. And you keep in contact with certain people or for a while there. And then, you know, because life happens, sometimes you just lose contact with people. Not in the heart. It'll always be people in my heart. But sometimes you just lose contact as far as the, you know, texting game goes and all that. But with Pete, it never stopped. Now, I'm not saying we talk every day or text every day. But no matter where I was, like Pete was always on my phone. I'd be in I don't even know, like I don't even think we've talked, like literally talked. It's just like texting. Simple text, like stupid stuff sometimes. But it's consistent. And it might be something about like uh anything. But he's there. And for me, especially at the stage of the game I was in 10 years ago, when my addiction was at its peak and I was just finally getting out of the hospital and all that, I've talked about this a little bit. This is like in 2011. And Pete didn't know anything about it. 
He didn't know the, the, the damage I'd put myself through, almost dying. He didn't know any of that. But he would still text me. You know, we'd, we'd be talk about, like, working out or, and then, you know, primal diet or you name it. We had text about it, music, you know, he, anything. And they didn't go on rambling stuff, but he was there. Now, I had my friends that were like my brothers that knew what I was going through. Pete didn't know what I was going through. And another thing Pete didn't know is that he was helping me. He was helping me during one of my darkest times. During, not even one of my, during my darkest time. He was helping me. So it's kind of funny how the roles reversed. Because when I first had Pete, he was a 10th grader. Greenhorn, 10th grader, thought he knew it all. Good kid. But I was his teacher. I was his, I wasn't his coach. I was his teacher. I was his leader. But it's funny how the roles can reverse without even knowing it. Because 10 years ago when I was trying to get my life back on track and I was now sober, but my, my physically I was a mess and I was still trying to rebound, he was there. He was helping me. And he didn't even know it. He was talking about like his workouts and he was talking about what he was doing like stuff we talk about normally, but I wasn't at that place anymore because I was just trying to walk again. I was just trying to hold my own body weight up. Forget about doing how many pull-ups I could do at the time. <laughs> Forget that. I was just trying to survive. But those text messages from Pete and just knowing he was there, looking up, like, and I don't want to toot my horn, but there was still that I'm the, I was the leader and he was a student. He was looking up to me. But in reality, at that time, I was looking up to him. The roles had reversed, but he didn't know it. He helped me. He was one of the people that helped me. And it's crazy to think about because... I just got a text message from him this morning because I had to. I asked him about how many times if, if he was going to open gym that back in the day because I needed a little refresher. My memory needed a little refresher, and of course he was. And I was like, no doubt he was, man, because that's what Pete was, is. So Pete, if you're listening, you help me. You didn't know it. I wasn't trying to throw you a pity party I wasn't asking for anything but you were there your text messages they helped they helped carry me they helped lift me up they helped inspire me so just remember people that you never know who's watching you never know who you might be helping without even knowing it that's why it's important that we watch our actions, we watch our words, and it's not easy to do all the time. 
I need reminders on a daily basis, but we're being watched. So think about that next time you're trying to complain about something, next time you're thinking how terrible things are. Not all the time. There's always someone that has it worse. There's always situations that could be worse. How are you handling it? Are you keeping your head up? Because people are watching. Without even knowing it, just like Pete was. I was watching Pete. He didn't know it, but I saw him. He helped me. I love you for that, Pete. Thank you. So, with that being said, I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you make it a great day. And never forget, there's always somebody watching. So keep that in mind before you try to, oh, woe is me, have a pity party, whatever. Keep that in mind. The moves make the man. I'm out. You never know where you're going if you don't look back. Hold it tight like a fist forward, fades to black. You got a relic, best to keep it true. A ticket to the past, it can bring you to. You got a relic, you come far.